municipal water is treated across the U.S. It is put through stringent testing. The issue with water in the U.S., in the places where they do have issues with water, it is not because the treatment of the water is not working. It's because of the distribution. So the pipes that we use to distribute water are old and they leach. But when it comes to plastic for beverage packaging and food packaging, it's really a material that is seriously flawed from a design perspective. You know, you create this package that's used for minutes in some cases and then discarded. That actual material never goes away. End of the day, recycling is a business. The materials that end up getting recycled most often are the ones where the scrap value of that material is highest. And that really is why plastics are recycled so infrequently. But it's the whole reason why we started this company, to be able to offer an intermediate option between a reusable bottle and a plastic bottle that will pollute the planet for literally forever. If we are able to recycle aluminum cans and increase our recycling rate, then that means that we can theoretically get to a place where we are no longer using virgin material, right? The material that it's already in use would continue to be in use indefinitely. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you businesses that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Jess Page and Nicole Doucet, co-founders of Open Water. More ocean, less plastic. They join us from Manchester, Vermont and Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, Jess and Nicole. Thank you so much. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having us, Vidya. With only about 5% of all plastics that has been recycled and, and around 15% of plastic bottles are being recycled, we have a long way to achieve 100% recycle rates of all plastics. We all know plastics are harmful to our environment, but why and how are they harmful? I was going to talk about kind of the recyclability of plastic and that 5% figure that, that you mentioned in terms of how often plastics are recycled. And the reality is that even when plastics are recycled, so that 5% rate, they're recycled once. And then the second time around, only 1% of that 5% actually makes it through the recycling process a second time. So, you know, recycling really isn't a solution for plastics, fortunately. But you're right. I think that plastics can be good in a lot of situations. It's an incredible material. If you think about it, it is very inexpensive and it has a lot of use cases where I think if our world did not have plastic at all, that would be a problem as well, right? I mean, I think Nicole brings up a good point. So plastics have a place in, in some industries. So like, especially in the medical field, they've created a lot of room for innovation. But when it comes to plastic for beverage packaging and food packaging. It's really a material that is seriously flawed from a design perspective. You know, you create this package that's used for minutes in some cases and then discarded, whether it goes to a landfill or a recycling facility, that actual material never goes away. It will break down into smaller and smaller pieces and it literally will exist forever. It just doesn't make a lot of sense in this space. And in fact, the technology which is easily available to recycle plastic only recycles the number one and the number two plastics. Three to seven 
it is recyclable, but it's more difficult and it gets downgraded far more than the one and two. Yeah. And I think it's also important to remember that at the end of the day, recycling is a business. The materials that end up getting recycled most often are the ones where the scrap value of that material is highest. And that really is why plastics are recycled so infrequently, because there isn't a good secondary or tertiary use of that material, which is not the case with with other materials like metals. So though plastic water bottles is a bane, it is an annoyance when we see it discarded or sometimes even being used, bottled water is a necessity. For a large population, bottled water is a necessity. It is not a luxury that a jogger carries when they're jogging. It is what they need every single day to have clean, safe, portable water. Yeah, and it is sad that that's the case in the U.S. as well in some areas and the lack of funding for water infrastructure in the U.S. that makes it so that, you know, tap water in some places isn't safe to drink. And you're right, then it make, it, bottled water then becomes a necessity rather than a luxury. And that shouldn't be the case. We've always been huge proponents of tap water use because at the end of the day, that is the most sustainable option available for drinking water, right? But the reality is that you know, there needs to be a lot of improvements in the U.S. water infrastructure to get us to that point. So what are the options available to us in terms of a more sustainable, more circular packaging for water? One thing that comes to mind is uh, Tetra Packs. Yeah. So as Nicole mentioned, the number one most sustainable option will always be tap water and refillable bottles like a a SIG, Nalgene, Clean Canteen. Those are amazing. We always advocate for using that first and foremost. And the truth is that there isn't a lack of those bottles for most of us. We all have a kitchen cabinet full of them. It's a matter of making sure that we use them as as often as possible. But you brought up uh, Tetra Packs um, and cartons, which is interesting. The recycling rates of cartons is actually lower than that of PET bottles, plastic bottles here in the U.S.? Well, there's actually two reasons. So there's a lack of infrastructure and recycling facilities that will take that type of carton, that type of material. And that stems from the fact that cartons are not just paper, which is a lot of marketing dollars have been put into convincing consumers that that they are just paper. But the truth is that they're made of multiple materials. So they're made of paper, plastic, and aluminum fused together in, in many layers. And with recycling, those materials all need to be separated. Yeah, and it's called multi-layer plastic or multi-layer paper, you know, whatever you want to call it. So in order to actually recycle those cartons, those materials need to be separated out using a machine called a hydropulper. And there really is just not great access to that type of technology in the U.S., which leads to a lot of confusion. People don't know whether they're recyclable or they should be trashed. And then the recycling rate, like I said, is the lowest of any packaging in the beverage space. And one of the other downsides, I think, of Tetra Pak that people actually often forget is that they still contain plastic. So if you measure the total plastic content in a Tetra Pak or a carton, which includes the plastic within the body of the package and then the plastic cap, because they all have plastic caps, you're actually looking at an equivalent amount of plastic as a grocery plastic bag, sometimes almost as much as a PET bottle. So if we're talking about solutions to solving, you know, the plastic crisis in the bottled water industry specifically, Tetra Pak really isn't a very good solution to reduce the amount of plastic that we're putting out in the world. 
So what are the options? So we need bottled water. And um, while we try to get to better recyclable levels in plastic, what are the other solutions that are coming to mind? For instance, your company offers water in um, aluminum bottles or cans. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to reiterate that while bottled water may be a necessity in some places, it's often a choice between tap water and reusable bottles and bottled water. And so that should always be the number one choice when possible. But it's the whole reason why we started this company, to be able to offer an intermediate option between a reusable bottle and a plastic bottle that will pollute the planet for literally forever. And so we have looked into essentially every beverage packaging material that's in the market. So everything from traditional plastics to plant-based plastics, cartons, we just talked about glass, and then also aluminum. And so aluminum gets recycled more than twice as often as any of those other materials. It's more lightweight. Higher than glass? Higher than glass. So glass is right around 34% average nationwide recycling rate, um, and aluminum is much closer to 50%. The other complication is that you have to consider the other parts of the package too. So the weight of the package. So for example, glass bottles are very heavy. Um, They're prone to breaking, uh, which causes waste, and aluminum doesn't face those challenges. So aluminum is made from bauxite, right? So where is bauxite found? You know, aluminum is one of the most common uh, materials in the world. And there is, obviously, to make aluminum, there is mining that's involved. But we talked about, you know, recycling rates and how aluminum cans are the most recycled beverage packaging in the world. And this isn't just in the U.S. It's every country that you go to, aluminum has the highest recycling rate. And one of the, like, really important things about aluminum, and I think what makes the material so special, is that it doesn't lose quality or volume within the recycling process. And so if we are able to recycle aluminum cans and increase our recycling rate, then that means that we can theoretically get to a place where we are no longer using virgin material, right? The material that it's already in use would continue to be in use indefinitely without any loss. And I think that that's what's interesting. Right now in the U.S., the average can, including the cans that we use, contain almost 75% post-consumer material already. And that number is going up. And you know, a lot of our efforts as a company are in education and trying to get those recycling rates to increase as well so that we can rely less and less on virgin material. But this is a theoretical point where you know you get to a perfect cycle. It doesn't exist for plastic because of the down the, the degradation that happens in the recycling process. So you always, always, no matter how high recycling rate gets for plastic, you will always need virgin material. You're saying that aluminum can infinite times be 100% recyclable. There is no degradation. That's correct. That's right. It's a very, very efficient process. So one of our bottles or cans can be made into the same bottle or can over and over and over again, which is incredible. I I think the figure is that over 75% of the aluminum that's ever been made is still in use today, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because the process of making aluminum, say the 25 or 35 percent that you are using, that's virgin, the process of making it is pretty energy intensive. It is also, again, mining. So how do you balance that? How do you, say, have an offset for that? How do you make your company sustainable or responsible? 
I think it goes back to what Nicole was talking about before, education around recycling, pushing our supply chain to continue to innovate and use as much recycled content in the cans and bottles that they're producing. That's really the key, making sure that we're incorporating as much recycled content. It actually lowers the emissions by 95% when you use recycled aluminum instead of virgin. And so it makes a huge impact. And obviously you avoid the other issues related to the mining of virgin aluminum. Aluminum doesn't react with water at all? There, in every aluminum can and bottle made, whether it contains water or whether it contains beans or soda or whatever it might be, there's a, a very, very thin epoxy lining that's sprayed inside the interior of the package. And that's in place to prevent any corrosion that could potentially occur if the contents were sitting directly onto the raw aluminum. That lining doesn't affect the recyclability whatsoever. Epoxy gives me a vision of plastic again. How does that impact a bottle, aluminum can with water, has the epoxy lining, is sitting out in the sun for a few days? Would that affect my health in the long run? Not in the year that I'm using, maybe a decade of using something like that. Uh, Have there been any tests or any analysis done? The linings that we use are all, it's called BPA and I, essentially BPA free. And before any product is packaged in this type of packaging, there's an analysis done to ensure that the lining is non-reactive with the contents over a period of time and in different conditions, because obviously that's very important. It no, and it'll not leach into the water because like till we heard this word BPA, you know, the hard water bottles which contained the BPA. Till that time, the hard water bottles were the way to go. And so I'm just wondering at some point, the epoxy that you are applying in the inside of your bottle, will has there been extensive research to make sure that it doesn't affect the, it's not carcinogenic, it doesn't give some microplastics into the bloodstream of the drinker. Has there been enough testing done in that regard? I mean, there's extensive tests that's done from, uh, you know, every supplier that we use. And again, every single can out there needs to have a lining. I think if you're worried about microplastics, honestly, it might be too late. Microplastics are present in oysters or it's present in beer. It's present in the air. Microplastics are unavoidable nowadays. The figure that's out there is that we consume the equivalent of a credit card's worth of plastic every day, uh, which is kind of crazy. I'm scary. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very scary. Um, There was actually a study recently that found microplastics in our blood. So it's not even just in our environment. It's actually already causing issues to our bodies as well. Where is your product made and packaged? We make everything in the U.S. So that's one of the ways that we have from the very start of the company. We wanted to make things locally. And again, part of our sustainability initiatives are in terms of the package itself. But there's a lot of sustainability initiatives that come from supply chain as well. And a way to reduce the carbon footprint of our products is to make the product as close to where we're selling as possible, right? And so the bottles and cans are made in the U.S. They are filled in the U.S. One of the things that's been really interesting to see in the bottled water industry is how premium bottled water companies have convinced us consumers that this idea of a single source that is worth paying for, right? So if you think about you know, high-end premium bottled water, they all sell this idea of like single source. This is where the water comes from. This is the spring or the mountaintop glacier or whatever it might be. But that idea 
if you think about it, is extremely wasteful. Because what that means is that every time you buy that brand of water, that bottle was filled at that source. And it's being shipped all over the world from that single location, which is crazy because when you think about it, it is water. So we're shipping water, you know, across the globe just because we have convinced consumers that, you know, this one source is somehow magical. And we really disagree with that. Where is your water? What is your water source? So we actually focus on the process. Uh, we have a recipe to make our water. We purify our water and we add a specific blend of electrolytes or minerals to it. The reason why we do this is exactly because we want to break away from this kind of sourcing scheme. We want to be able to make our product as close to where we're selling as possible. So the way that we started, we actually, obviously, when you're small, it is hard to have, you know, these big ideas in terms of things that you want to do from a sustainability perspective, but sometimes you don't have the scale to do it. And so this was always part of our philosophy, but we weren't able to implement it. And so we had just one filling facility in the middle of the country. Right now, we have four facilities that we work with already. We're adding two more next year. And so the idea is that as we grow... We fill our product closer and closer and closer to the end consumer while still maintaining the taste profile of the product. And so we're kind of breaking away from this reliance on like whatever it is, like exotic sources, right? And providing high quality water, great tasting water without having to ship it all over the place. So what is the benefit of the electrolytes and the minerals that you add into your water? A lot of people will talk about kind of functional benefits, you know, calcium, magnesium, potassium, they're all important for our bodies. And a lot of bottled water companies will talk it up. But the reality is that the mineral content in bottled water is minuscule. It is very, very small compared to what you get from food. The mineral content really doesn't have an effect on health. It is, it is really very small. If other bottled water companies are telling you this, they are pulling a marketing stunt on you. This is the case with alkaline water as well. There has been no proof whatsoever that it has any effect on health. So we use electrolytes and minerals for taste more than for function. There is a difference in taste between completely purified water with nothing added to it and water that has electrolytes and minerals to it. And, and you'll feel it, you know, it has a different mouthfeel, it has a different taste. And so we want it to kind of emulate, uh, you know, these premium waters that are all over the marketplace and show that we could achieve the same taste without having to have this uh, single source of philosophy, right? It's funny that you talk about water taste and I'm obsessed with water and how it tastes. When I go to New York City, I love the tap water and I am appalled when people order bottled, expensive bottled water. I go to New York City to drink their water. Chicago, another city <laughs> with beautiful water. Bombay, another great city with great water. And like, it's, it's ridiculous that in those cities that you actually buy, I don't know, I don't want to throw bands under the bus, brands <laughs> under the bus, but you know, um, yeah. And actually water does have taste and it helps you quench your thirst because of the taste. So coming back to your process where you make water safe, is it uh, just a reverse osmosis system that you take any water and then you add your minerals and electrolytes into it? I wanted to kind of go back to the taste of water in, in Chicago specifically in the winter. The water, not only does it taste great, but it comes out really, really cold out of the faucet. And it's like, 
it's the best thing. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thirsty and you open up your tap and the water's already cold. I love that. Going back to your question, our, our process does include reverse osmosis, but it has a lot of other steps that go into it. And we always use, you know, kind of the top of the line uh, purification process. We work with top of the line facilities to ensure that we get the highest quality water out there. If municipalities adopted what you are adopting, we would be able to drink water out of the taps in most places or no? No, because my understanding, and I am not an expert in, you know, water infrastructure, but we are in this space. And so we kind of, uh, you know, obviously are informed. But my understanding is that the issue with water in the U.S., in the places where they do have issues with water, it is not because the treatment of the water is not working. It's because of the distribution. So the pipes that we use to distribute water, oftentimes like the ones that are, you know, all through the city, all through the towns, even sometimes within people's own homes are old and they leach. And so I believe that is the main problem. Not to say that there aren't problems with with treatment facilities as well, but this isn't a technology what we use. It's not a technology that's not available to municipalities. They have it. They do it. Municipal water is treated across the U.S. It is put through stringent testing. But that is, I think, the reason why this problem has been so hard to solve is because it's not a treatment issue. It is a distribution issue. And that involves a more complicated solution to the problem. If it were just a case of like, oh, let's you know, change the equipment, change the machinery, change our process within the plant, that would be pretty easy to solve. And I, you know, I would be, it is still appalling that, you know, this is still an issue in a country like the U.S. There is more intricacy to the problem than just, you know, simple equipment change. Yeah, and some places even have groundwater contamination, which cannot be done away with, you know, with boiling or just killing the bacteria. And speaking about uh, kind of tap water, I'm from Mexico City and I know what it's like to have tap water that is not safe to drink. It is really, I think, unacceptable, right, to not have the population have access to clean water. Clean water is a right. There is no reason why, you know, we talked about how bottled water has become a necessity or has been a necessity for some time, but that's just not acceptable. Clean water is a right and you shouldn't have to buy bottled water. It should be something that you buy from time to time when you're out and about and you want something healthy to drink and maybe you forgot your reusable bottle. But a country like the U.S., I think it's, it's pretty shameful that basic right like water isn't something that we are giving people right now. Yeah, I'm from Bombay, India, and we have a similar situation. Even growing up, we always boiled the water and, you know, fill it up in water bottles while going to school. But now when you're traveling, bottled water is a necessity. And uh, But in India now, most of the better restaurants have reverse osmosis system. I like the taste of water, especially in Bombay. So we actually drink the non-bottled but treated water in the facility just for the same reason i'm in india i want to taste the water you know i don't want to drink uh, avian bottle you know shipped across the globe personally talking about shipping costs how heavy is your aluminum can if you compare it to the plastic bottle the reason being it is probably heavier and it probably costs more and uses more energy to ship a can of water versus a plastic bottle of water? That's a good question. The answer is it it varies for plastic bottles. So if you think about like the flimsy, thinnest, lightest weight plastic bottle, it's right around 10 grams altogether, including the cap. 
But then if you think up to like a, a heavier, some of those more premium imported brands that we were talking about, those are significantly heavier, double the lightest bottles. We have aluminum bottles, which are the twist top ones. Those are right around 23 grams, but we also offer aluminum cans as well. So a 12 ounce can is about 13 grams. So pretty comparable to the low end of the plastic. And that's 12 ounce. And usually plastic bottle that we have this it's like half a liter is it yeah i mean and those also vary so it could be the one that i was speaking about yeah half a liter so 16 ounces okay so comparable pretty close yeah Mm -hmm. but do you do anything as a company to offset your carbon footprint of these extra few grams per can yeah, we are actually the first bottled water to be certified as climate neutral. This is across the world. We became certified back in 2020, if I remember correctly. And so what that means is that we actually measure, reduce, and then offset all of our emissions on an organizational basis. And this takes into account cradle to gate, uh, which is terminology, which is like everything from production of our product all the way to the delivery of our product and includes all of our operations in terms of administration as well. So we regularly, once a year, we measure that. And then whatever it is that we cannot reduce, because we also take a lot of reduction actions in terms of supply chain, whatever it is that we cannot reduce, we offset. And the reason why we started doing that is because we knew that aluminum cans were the best material when it came to recyclability, when it came to end of life. But the truth is that any product, whatever, whether it's bottled water, whether it's, uh, you know, bamboo straws, uh, no matter how sustainable the product is, it still has a footprint. That is just the truth. There is no product that exists today that doesn't have a footprint. But we, you know, had learned quite a bit about the impact of climate change on ocean health. You know, how important the ocean is for regulation of climate, what effect climate change was having on ocean health. And our mission has always been to keep oceans clean and healthy. And that's why we started the the company. And so we wanted to do something on the emission side as well. As you go towards maybe 100% recycled content in yours, and as a nation, we go towards 100% of all aluminum that is recycled. What role do you think the deposits that are collected per can play with the collection and that whole chain of events? I'm glad that you're asking about this because it's hugely important and really, really, really affects the recycling rates. So if you look at the states that do have deposits, and there's actually only a handful that do across the country, those states have the highest recycling rates by far compared to the national average. And the rate varies in different states, like per pound in California, I could get $1.66 per pound of aluminum that I take back to the recycling facility and up to like 23 cents in Alaska, Alabama, and somewhere in the middle, Indiana is about 44 cents per pound of aluminum that is recycled. Yeah, I think so. The market dictates what the scrap rate will be that you would be able to collect for the actual scrap aluminum. But I think maybe what we were talking about previously was the bottle deposit laws. And so there's different states. So California is a good example, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Hawaii, Vermont. They offer basically when the consumer goes and purchases a beverage that falls into the deposit bill program from the store, they pay a five to 10 cent Uh, deposit on that package 
And then when they return the empty, they get that same amount back. And so in the states where the programs are in place, the recycling rates are significantly higher than states without them. And so at Open Water, we've always been huge proponents of actually a, a federal bottle bill is something that we're really uh, big advocates of for a couple of reasons. Obviously, like I mentioned just a minute ago, the recycling rates are significantly higher when a program is in place. But also from a compliance perspective, it is a very complicated process for a brand to comply with, especially smaller brands. And so having different state rules and regulations that need to be complied with makes it very, very complicated. And a federal program would fix that. How did you two come about to start this business? What's your background? Nicole and I actually met while we were undergrads at the University of Miami. Nicole was studying economics and finance, and I was a, a graphic design major. And we one day walked into a documentary. There was a small theater on campus, um, and we just happened to walk in, and, and it was a documentary about plastic pollution. And this was back in 2009. The conversation around plastics was very, very different than what it is today. Obviously, we were aware that plastics were polluter, a huge waste stream, but seeing the documentary put into perspective this almost abstract idea of plastic pollution and made it very visual and, and visceral. And so we walked out of the theater, honestly, depressed and shock and awe and disgusted and couldn't stop talking about this plastic problem. Very quickly, our conversation went to bottled water in particular. Because like we were talking about before, most sustainable option is tap water, but people continue to buy bottled water more and more every single year. And it is a, a silly product when you come to think of it because it's so, for the most part, easily available and essentially free from the tap. And so we started thinking about what we could potentially do to offer the same convenience of traditional bottled water, but in a much more sustainable way. Like I said, we were college students. We were very inexperienced with the world. We were very passionate, but definitely naive. And we started thinking and we had these grand ideas about what we could do to make an impact. When was that? That was back in 2009 still. We saw the documentary. We're very, very motivated to come up with a way to make an impact on curbing plastic waste. You know, started talking about all those different packaging materials that I was mentioning before. So plant-based plastics, recycled plastics. Quickly realized that neither of those were going to be a solution. We looked at cartons, glass bottles. As we learned more and more about aluminum, really came to understand that they were the best option in terms of the end-of-life prospects of the packaging. So the highest chance of actually getting recycled and being made into a new package again, which obviously means that they don't end up in landfills and oceans. How old is your company? We launched in 2014. So you're about nine years old. Yeah, coming up on 10, which is uh, wild to think about. So what are your future aspirations? Are you trying to influence, like you said, the federal recycling laws? Where do you see yourself? What are your aspirational or your dream for the future? We're very ambitious in terms of the impact that we want to have. This has, from day one, been very much a mission-driven company. And we have very lofty goals in terms of replacing plastic bottles and getting rid of plastic bottles as much as possible. And so right now we're really focusing on expanding distribution so that the consumer at least has a choice. Open Water has grown very, very quickly over the past few years. We're still very small compared to, you know, all the plastic bottle producers out there. You know, we want to make sure that 
when the consumer goes to their local store, when they're at you know a concert, when they're traveling, wherever it might be, they have a choice and they can choose something that is better for the environment, that is better for the oceans, et cetera. And that means that we want to grow the company and we plan on continuing to grow the company. We also have a lot of goals in terms of other areas, you know, the sustainability side of things that we're passionate about, like, like we said, infrastructure and bottle bills and all those things. We actually recently hired a a director of sustainability to help us do that better and to help us leverage our experience. And I think what makes us interesting is that we hold very different ideas than the rest of the bottled water industry on some of these issues. You know, a lot of bottled water companies be very happy to hear if, you know, tap water is not available for people because that means that they're going to sell more product. We're not like that. And I think this kind of contrarian view and the genuine desire to reduce our dependency on packaged products in general, I think give us interesting voice when we you know, come to the table and hopefully have an impact on some of these bills that are coming up. With sustainability, there's also just sustainability, right? So how much do your cans cost as compared to bottled water? Another very good question. One of the things that we really believe is that sustainability should not be a luxury. You know, in order to have the impact that we need to have, sustainable products need to be accessible to as wide of an audience as possible. And so it's something that we've always prioritized from day one. One of the challenges is that the actual package itself is a higher cost package. Um, and that does come from the fact that it's a higher value material. But so the 16-ounce bottles are on par with a, a premium bottle of water at a grocery store. That bottle retails for around $1.99 per bottle. We have our 12-ounce cans that I mentioned before. Those are as low as $0.89 cents each at a grocery store. And then we also offer a 16-ounce, uh, we call it a tall girl can. And that is right in between, so right around $1.50 or so. Wishing you both all the best. Thank you so much, Jess and Nicole, for coming on Mindful Businesses. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Vidya. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed the conversation. You're listening to Mindful Businesses, produced and hosted by Vidya Ayer. We would love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Click on the subscribe button to be the first to learn about our latest episodes. We recorded the podcast in Buffalo, New York. Theme music was composed by Tatum Gale Rosanne. Korean is our marketing assistant. Kathan Karat is our podcast editor. Our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pashrija. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.